That's a primary reflection of being filled with the Spirit is that you give thanks to God for everything, for the difficult circumstance in, in your marriage, for the fact that you are single and lonely, for the fact that you have had a relationship that you were sure was going to work out and now it hasn't and you're wondering what to do with your life. God oversees all of these things. And when you're filled with the Spirit, you understand that you can be thankful to Him and you learn to practice that thankfulness, not only in that circumstance, but in every circumstance. And the more grateful you are for all that God has given, the more you are protected against and guarded against sexual immorality. Hello and welcome again to Grace Maryville Weekly, which is a podcast ministry of Grace Community Church located in downtown Maryville, Tennessee. The sermon you are about to hear is a part of a sermon series presented by Pastor Chris Reiser from the book of Matthew. Pastor Chris has sought to demonstrate that Jesus is the King, which is the overall theme of the book of Matthew. It is our goal to provide messages on Monday and Friday weekly from the pulpit at Grace Community Church to equip the saints for the work of ministry and to call everyone to repent and believe. Let's listen now as Pastor Chris works exegetically through the text. Please open in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. If you'll stand, I'll be reading verses 22 through excuse me, 27 through 30, and then we'll be turning over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, so be ready for that. But first, Matthew chapter 5, we are basing this, really what has become a series on the heart of adultery. We're coming out of the Sermon on the Mount because that's where we are in our expositional study. And so I just want to remind you again of where we are and why we've been studying this. Jesus certainly um, he didn't hold back any words when it came to his discussion of this topic, and neither have we, and yet certainly we haven't exhausted it in any way. The Bible speaks so much about it. But Matthew chapter... Uh, 5, beginning in verse 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you, for it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. And now over to 1 Corinthians, where we've been several times, as we consider the nature of fleeing immorality and glorifying God with our body. Here's what the Apostle Paul says, as he deals directly with this topic in Corinth, where there had been so much rampant sexual um, idolatry, sexual sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 18. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Please be seated. Now, in 1990, there was a fire at the airport in what was then Denver's Stapleton International Airport, and uh, the, some of the uh, tanks that hold the airplane f- uh, fuel burst into flame, and the Denver um, firefighters spent about two days trying to put out this fire. It was the largest fire that had ever happened in, in Denver. They spent two days trying to put it out. They threw everything they had at it, and literally they got absolutely nowhere. 
I remember seeing the, the pictures and the, the flames were just continuing the same as they had been from the first day to the second. Well, finally, they called in some, uh, a, a firefighting team that had special, uh, they had the special equipment and the know-how to, to use on, on a fire of that kind. It was the kind of team that puts out fires on oil wells and other things. And it was, it was amazing. That team came and in, I think it was three to four hours, the fire was out. They had the right know-how. They had the right equipment the right information, all of those things. And so the Denver uh, firefighters had tried hard. They'd done all they could. They had used all the equipment at their disposal, and they had accomplished nothing. And this other team came and, and, and literally in hours put it out. Well, if I may make a bit of a, an application to your wrestle with lust, your wrestle in this very area that we've been discussing with sexual immorality, you need to be sure that although you might, you might be having, putting in much effort, doing many things, that you have to have the right information, you have to have the right tools, you have to be directing your efforts in the proper direction. Otherwise, you will not defeat this sin. And Jesus has given us essentially the negative side. He deals with that in Matthew 5, where he says, you're going to have to rip out an eye, you're going to have to cut out a hand. This takes radical amputation. So we've spent several weeks talking about fleeing immorality, the negative side, how you put off. What are the things that you need to put off in order to be able to be pure in this area? But now we need to move and talk this morning about what we put on, because that's how the Bible deals with our sanctification. There are certain sins to be put off, certain things that we have to avoid, but we cannot just simply put things away and leave a vacuum in our life, because sin will return again. We need to replace the things that we put aside with godly principles and directions that we pursue. We cannot always pursue putting off without pursuing putting on. And that's what we'll be discussing this morning, particularly in the area, of course, of sinful lust. Because although we could put all those things aside, if we didn't pursue Christ with reckless abandon, then we would find that they just return again. John Piper says it this way, the fire of lust's pleasures must be fought with the fire of God's pleasures. If we try to fight the fire of lust with prohibitions and threats alone, even the terrible warnings of Jesus, we will fail. We must fight it with a massive promise of superior happiness. We must swallow up the little flicker of lust's pleasure in the conflagration of holy satisfaction. This is what we're called to as believers. Christ must be our object. He must be our passion. And so we turn away from sinful things and we turn to Christ honoring things so that we might please him in this way. So what we'll see this morning is that in order to defeat adultery, we must certainly flee from sexual immorality. But we must also be passionate of our, uh, in our pursuit of God's pleasure through diligently glorifying him with our bodies. Again, in order to defeat adultery, we must certainly flee from sexual immorality. But we must also be passionate in our pursuit of God's pleasure through diligently glorifying him with our bodies. Now, we, we spent the last couple of weeks discussing the principles of putting off, the principles of fleeing immorality. I'll just remind you of them. You have to replace an unbiblical belief about sexual intimacy that's going to lead you towards adultery. The world has all kinds of wrong ideas about this whole topic, what it means to be lustful, what it means to express these things. The Bible tells us what to do. We said we had to put aside the idea that sexual intimacy is unscriptural or that it's unspiritual, that it is somehow my right. I, I demand it, so I have to have it in certain ways. We have to put aside the idea that it's acceptable outside of marriage in any form, anywhere, anytime, or any place. We have to put aside the idea that it's more important than other kinds of intimacy, that we would only focus on that and not the spiritual and emotional, the friendship intimacy that is necessary in marriage as well. And we have to put aside the idea that somehow this is only a man thing. It's only men that think about this or men that worry about this, whereas we've seen in Scripture that it certainly is not. 
So we have to put aside unbiblical attitudes. We also have to put off or, or put away hard attitudes that lead to adultery. We talked about greediness of heart and arrogance, ungratefulness, ungodliness, and laziness. We have to set those things aside that we might have hearts which are properly disposed towards purity. And then we discussed combating temptation of the heart that leads to idolatry. We have to recognize this temptation. Your mind works so fast. It moves from just simply saying, there's a beautiful woman, to lusting after her. And, I mean, you can't even count the seconds. It's, it's, it's milliseconds. We have to learn how carefully to take our thoughts captive so that there is never an ungodly thought. And please, don't ever misunderstand when I say that, that temp- taking hold, taking our thoughts captive means recognizes temptation, that, that the fact that there are desires that will spring up in our heart. I'm never saying that temptation itself is good. It's not like, well, that's a good thing, and now we've got to capture it. No, right? temptation is always, in and of itself, something that has to be put aside, it has to be captured so that we don't move on into sin. So we had to learn how to identify and put away the temptations that so quickly rise up in our hearts. And then we have to eliminate the behaviors that lead to adultery. We have to be carefully, we have to carefully guard our media intake, carefully guard our computer usage. We have to be careful in our habits towards members of the opposite sex, always being careful how we, how we are relating, how we are talking, the places we are looking, all of those things. And that we have to be accountable to others as well. This is very practical in many ways. Then we said we have to overcome or put away the barriers that can promote adultery. We have to learn to deal with the travesty, the, with the tragedy of abuse. And how you work through and, 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 and take that barrier and overcome it. How to overcome the previous sin of a husband or wife. To set aside our bitterness and anger and lack of forgiveness. And also on the other side, to set aside the habits that led to that in the first place. We have to overcome the physical barriers that can promote adultery. Mental and emotional barriers. The, the barriers of our lifestyle that, that keep us from properly engaging as, as married couples in, in physical intimacy. And then communication barriers. We have to be willing to overcome those things that the, the hard, difficult conversations, we have to be able to have those. And so in all these ways, we are putting aside sin. But now let us consider how we might pursue the positive aspects of pleasing and honoring the Lord, not only directly in this area, but also in the areas of the heart that will enable us to be godly and wholesome when it comes to our, our, our sexual intimacy. Our, so our passage, essentially, the, the three words, the four words we're drawing from, therefore, glorify God and glorify God in your body. First Corinthians 10.31 says, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Certainly, the idea of physical intimacy and sexual intimacy are not separated from that. We do this to the glory of God. Romans, 1, 20, or Romans 12.1, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. So not just avoiding evil things, but presenting our bodies so that we might worship God, pursuing that worship of him with all that we are, not just our singing, but every aspect of our hearts and lives. The verse we studied on Friday night for our, our youth ski trip, Philippians 1.20. Paul says, according to my earnest expectation and hope, that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now as always be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul says, I don't want to be shamed by not honoring God. So therefore, I want everything that I do with my body to exalt Christ. That's our goal, and that's what we're studying this morning. How do we exalt Christ with everything in us, with a specific application that we might put away sexual immorality? First Peter 2.9 says, you are a chosen race 
You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're a people for God's own possession. Why? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This area of purity, of sexual purity, is a way to proclaim to the nations the greatness of God. We just spent the the weekend, Saturday, with our our teens up at Ski Beach, a a ski retreat in North Carolina. And it always seems no matter how hard I try, I end up on some kind of weird weekend. Well, I avoided college weekend, which was last weekend. Well, I avoided the official college weekend. This weekend was Red Bull weekend. That is, they were inviting all the surrounding colleges to get as many kids as they could up to the ski slopes. And you can probably imagine what some of the things that went on as a result of that. Now, again, by the Lord's grace, our, our students were ready. We can enjoy the day of skiing and be careful with our hearts and minds. But nonetheless, you know, you go, you're on the lift and there's, there's the college kids partying down there and, and the music is blaring. You're like, whoa. These things, you know, this takes some work. We had to practice, we had to practice some of these things. But purity, I mean, the world lives to be impure. These college students, in, in one sense, why would we expect them to be different? They truly don't know better. That is, they're, they, 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 although they may know with their minds, their parents might have told them or others, they can't experience that because they don't know Christ. And it was, it was one young man, it was, I, w- I like to go on the list by myself at some time during the day because then it enables me an opportunity to witness. And we'd just been talking about the verse that Christ wouldn't be dishonored in our bodies. So I thought, well, I'll take a couple runs by myself. And lo and behold, the first run, I, first one I went on, um, I was in the regular line. You're, there's a singles line, a regular line, you know, if, if you're all by yourself. But I was in the normal line. And so someone came up and, and they saw that I was by myself. I was a college student and he, had, he was with his buddies and they, they had kind of, they were all paired up. And so he was with me. And I don't know what it was, whether he looked at me and thought I looked weird or whatever, but about before we got to the end of the line or get on the list, he was, he was, he was making a beeline for his other buddies. He's going underneath the ropes and he's over there with them. I'm like, I mean, did I, did I do something wrong? The people in line are around going, whoa, you must be, a, what's wrong with you? Well, little did he know, he, he ended up right in front of me, but it was a difficult lift to get on. He wasn't a real experienced skier and he actually got bumped off the lift by his friend and I was coming right behind him. I literally just kind of grabbed him, whoosh, stuck him on the seat. You're with me, buddy. This was a divine appointment, I tell you. <laughs> but I'll tell you that it also gave me great impetus. I mean, here he tried to get away from me. He couldn't. Here he is sitting on the lift. I better share the gospel. And there's not much time. Now, see, when you live in Colorado and you go skiing, you've got, you can get 20 minutes on the lift. You're going up three miles. Here you're going up about 30 feet. It's like, better talk fast. So uh, we're instantly moving into conversation. Hey, what do you do? Well, you know, um, I'm here. I'm a UT student. He was a freshman at UT up on the slopes. And uh, do you have a Christian background? I mean, we're going right for that. He's like, well, I'm, I'm a Catholic. I said, do you practice that or do you actually do it? Well, no, I just I'm kind of a name only. I, I, I don't, you know, I know God. I have a relationship with God, he said. Uh, I said, well, you know, do you ever, are you ever concerned? I mean, this coming. We're halfway through already. I'm like, are you ever concerned about what's going to happen when you die? I mean, we're launching right into it. In fact, I tried to soften it a little. I was like, you know, this is, I'm not trying to scare you here. I mean, here I am sitting with you and you, you didn't have any choice. And, and yet I, I need to ask you this question. So, you know, do you ever concern about what's going to happen when you die? He's like, I mean, he's looking to get off this lift as fast as he can. But that's the beauty of a ski lift. There is nowhere to go. He's stuck. He's sitting next to me. He's looking at me like, man, this old dude is weird. And I kid, I kid you not, the look is there. He's like, um, well, I mean, yeah, but I mean, I got a relationship with God, so I'm fine. And I said, well, on what basis are you fine? He goes, well, I mean, I love people. I do, I do good works. I said, well, you know, it's getting closer and closer. Your good works are not sufficient. The Bible says that you cannot stand before the Lord on your own righteousness, that if you, that were to happen, that you would be condemned. And then it really got weird. I mean, it's like this, this old guy's just telling me I'm condemned. He looks at me and then he got, then he got a little uppity. It's like, oh, so you're telling me that I'm going to get through, God's going to throw me into eternal hell. And I don't know what he expected me to say, but I didn't have much time. So I'm like, that's what I'm telling you. 
And he's like, and I'm like, I tried again. I tried to soften. I said, I know it sounds strange. Here I'm telling you that you're going to get thrown into eternal hell. And he, he did. He said, you know, I don't, I don't like this conversation. I mean, he said it just like that. I don't think we'd be having this conversation. He goes, I think people ought to just, if they believe what they believe, that's fine. But they shouldn't tell it. They shouldn't force it on anyone else. Hint, hint. And I was like, you know, if someone was going to, if you saw him driving off a cliff and they were going to die, I mean, the lift is getting closer and closer. It's almost time to get off. I, I said, wouldn't you, wouldn't you grab, wouldn't you tell him and say, look, don't go do that? And he's like, oh yeah, okay. I, I guess I get that. All right. We're almost there. So I just, I just finished up. You know, you, you need to, you need to repent of your sins. You need to recognize you're a sinner. You need to trust Christ. He's like, as he's getting off the list, he's like, thanks for the talk, dude. He's like, mm, he's off. I didn't see him again. He goes down and was doing the party. And yes, if you don't, if you have an unregenerate heart, and you think that you're really fine, that there isn't, you know, he, God is not really holy. He's just a God of love, right? I was trying to communicate that in about 30 seconds. You know, he's, he's a holy and righteous God. He's not just going to let you off. But he's down there. They're down there. They're doing their party and they're doing their thing. They, they think they're all fine because God's just going to, he's just going to let them in. They don't understand that God cannot have sin before his eyes, that he's perfect and holy. So in this area of sexual purity, they just don't get it. Why would God really care about this? This is a desire of mine. This is what I want to do. God will certainly let me in. I can do this, but I love people, right? God is not going to view it that way. And our our holiness, our purity in this area is not just a a moralistic purity which says, you need to stop that. That's bad. It's a purity that says God is greater. He is holy. He is righteous. And this glorifies him when we express purity in our bodies when it comes to sexual lust. And so the first thing on your outline is that if people are going to, if we are going to be pure, the first positive thing, as it were, that we have to do is we have to believe. You have to have a believing heart. I've said that before, but I would hate for you to sit in these sermons and again, well, here's this moralistic teaching. You're going to try to put it into practice. You're going to, you know, you're going to shut off your computer. You're going to get covenant eyes and you're still going to have an unregenerate heart that, that's not been changed. And you might hold these lusts at bay externally and to some degree internally but you will still be condemned before a holy God because you haven't been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. I would hate for that to be the case. And it's possible that some of you are still sitting here without having repented. 2 Corinthians 7.10 is clear. The sorrow that's according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Oh, the world has sorrow when it comes to sexual immorality. The sorrow of broken relationships. Divorce is, is a travesty whether you're a believer or an unbeliever the harm in the family that that causes, the sexual diseases that are rampant among our college students and on our college campuses. They don't like it when that happens. There's great sorrow over those things, but it's always a sorrow that ends. It's a sorrow that knows of regret. It's only when it's right there, it's happening, and then then they go back to the pleasures that they long to have. The believer, when he repents, it's a sorrow, or it's a repentance without regret. He doesn't go, well, I was sorry for that originally, but not anymore. I take that back. No, it's a true sorrow that recognizes that God is being grieved, that our hearts are truly not just committing acts of sin, but that we are sinful, that we are full of sin, that everything we do is tainted with sin. And so we long to turn from that, recognizing that the rightness of eternal hell. I mean, my friend on the lift was just like, that, I mean, it wasn't even in his mind. How could that even be right? He's going to throw me in hell. It made no sense to him because he had no grasp on the holiness of God. He, and of course, apart from the Spirit of God, he wouldn't. But maybe you still don't have that. You still have not truly repented. It's not simply about sexual sin. It's about every sin and the fact that you are tainted with sin in every way, even if you have never directly engaged in sexual sin, and even if you control your thoughts to some degree. But you can't just repent, right? Repentance is, is, is one side of the coin. You can't just turn away from sin. You have to turn to something. You have to trust Christ. You have to have faith in Jesus. 
Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved. By grace. Our solo conference. It's on solo gratia. Grace alone. It's coming in May. It's, it's way out there, but guys, it's going to be here tomorrow. And you're going to have made your plans and done your things. And you're going to have forgotten to go to the conference. Start inviting people now. What does it mean that God has free grace? Oh, no, no. I don't mean that it's free to you. It, it is in one sense. I mean that God is free to dispense it as he desires. That is entirely according to his own purpose and will, not yours. You do nothing to draw the grace. He freely gives it as he desires. That's free grace. Why would God do that? To whom does he extend that free grace? You need to come to the conference, but you need to understand that for everyone who believes, God has dispensed his free grace. He has freely given it, but he's given it of his own accord, not by anything that we did or anything that we are. And so we repent of sin, recognizing we have nothing to offer God and clinging only to the sacrifice of Christ, to his righteousness granted to us by his perfect life, imputed to our account, credited to our account when we trust in Christ. That's faith. Not just that we believe that with our heads, but that we entrust our life to Christ as Lord and Savior and Master, understanding and, and, and hoping only in His salvation, His righteousness on our behalf, not on anything that we can do. Repentance and faith. When that happens, it is a reflection of what has gone on in the heart, the work of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God. 2 Corinthians 5.17 If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. It doesn't mean no good to hop off the ski lift and ski down to that group of college students and say, stop partying. Shut off this ugly music. It's, it's gross. And it was. Now, what good is that going to do me? Some might go, oh, okay. You know, I would say, stop that. It's bad for you. Oh, okay, we believe that. And they would try. No, they have to have changed hearts. They need to be new creatures. They like the music they're listening to. They love the stuff that they're engaged in, even though they're sorrowful at times for what goes on. And we need to go down and proclaim Jesus to them. And, for, and perhaps that is true yet for some of you. You, you can't, you're not going to do this next one. The next one is cultivating your heart. You can't cultivate a heart that hasn't been renewed. It has to be changed through the work of God, expressed by you in repentance and faith. But then that is next. If your heart has been changed, and that's most of you, your heart has been changed, you desire to do these things, you're going to then have to cultivate the proper heart to be sexually pure. Now, it's going to bring purity in all the other areas as well. Remember, this is our focused application, sexual purity. And so it's really going to be the opposite of all of the things that we said led you towards sexual immorality when you didn't control them in your heart. So instead of a greedy heart, right, a greedy heart leads to sexual immorality. Idolatry and greed are the basis of sexual immorality. I want more pleasure. I'm going to have it. I make it my idol and I try to get it. Instead, we have to have generous hearts, generosity of heart. It's not enough just to try not to be greedy. We have to cultivate a heart of love that gives itself and its resources for the spiritual blessing and benefit of others. Consider the Apostle Paul in Philippians 2. He says, But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. Even if my life is just, it's the drink offering was poured on top of the sacrifice and, and the, the flames would cause it to, to evaporate and the smell would go up before the Lord as, as an aroma, as really a, a blessing to the sacrifice. Because even if my life is just that, just a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith where I am consumed that your work might be to the honor and pleasure of a holy God. That's, that's enough for me. That's all I really want. That's a heart that just says, I, would, I will just give my entire life all of my resources. Do you think that kind of heart is going to easily be swayed towards sexual immorality? It isn't. 
That kind of heart is going to, to long to give rather than take. To long to be, to, to seek the good of others rather than ultimately their harm by abusing them in this way, by, by using them as objects. Now I'd like to make this just a little bit more practical because sometimes you, you might be sitting here thinking, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty giving. I, I give up my life. I give my time. Well, let's let's look at a very material thing that will give an indication of the generosity of your hearts. You know where I'm going. It's your money. You know, a sermon on giving. If you're new with us this morning, just understand that this is very rare. You almost never get to hear about how you ought to give. So, but it's not really even directly in light of that. Second Corinthians eight one says, now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. Paul had, an, had, a, he had asked the churches, all the Gentile churches, to, to put together a collection of money to take to the churches in Jerusalem, the church in Jerusalem, which was poor, there was a famine going on, and they were without resources. He goes, look, they've blessed us spiritually. They're, I mean, from Jerusalem came out all of these other churches. That's where the gospel went forth. So we need to bless them materially. So he says, look, I want you guys to give. And I'm coming to your town, and I'm going to take the collection, and I'm taking it to Jerusalem. And they were supposed to give as, as a church. They were supposed to set it aside on the first day of the week, and then they were going to collect it. And Paul says, I, I, when I went back through the churches in Macedonia, this is what happened. He says, in a great deal of affliction... Their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in a wealth of their liberality. He says, these are poor churches I went to. He said, and, and this amazed me. He said, for I testify that according to their ability, beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much favor for the particip- uh, urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. Essentially, what Paul is saying is, look, I went through Macedonia. I told them that I wanted to collect collect uh, this, uh, bring about this collection, but I knew they were poor. So it's almost as though he's going through, checking on the churches and not mentioning the collection. And they're coming, because he knows they're so poor. And they're coming up, up to him and going, hey, I know there's a collection. You told us it was coming. Can we give? Because he said, not, he said, of their own accord. So we've heard about this. Maybe you hid it from us because you thought we were too poor. That's not true. We want to give and we want to give over and above because we want to support the saints. And then the last phrase is so important. He says, and this not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. This financial overflow had nothing to do with being, you know, crowbarred into, into giving, being guilted into giving more because it wasn't enough in the offering. It's like our hearts are overflowing with generosity. They had generous hearts. And, th- and that's my prayer. The reason I'm mentioning this is you need to check your wallet to understand your heart. How free are you with your resources? And I don't just simply mean giving to grace, giving to the local church. That seems to be the primary place given in Scripture where we give. But if you say, I'm, I'm generous, and yet you know, that money starts to leave your hand, you're like, whoa, none of that is yours. All right, am I saying all right, that your, your giving habits are going to be reflective of your propensity towards sexual immorality? I am. How often in our world do we see what? We see money and the misuse of it combined with what? Sexual immorality continually. The two are tied together. Why? Because if I can't be generous in my heart and that's reflected in my giving, or just in the way that I would give resources, whether you have any money or not, it shows, it it gives demonstration of a greedy heart, which is going to want other things for itself as well. So that's a very practical way for you to track this down. 
Now, it's not only giving of money, of course. As I already mentioned, Apostle Paul said, I'm giving my whole life. He didn't have any money to give to them. In Philippians, he's in prison. He goes, I don't even give to you. You're giving to me, but I'm giving you my life. So it's generosity of life, generosity of time, generosity of, of giftedness, but it's also generosity with your finances. Track that down, because if you're wrestling in any of those areas, it may be that you are setting yourself up for sexual immorality. So we have to pursue generosity with everything that we are. Next is a humility of art. We're not to put off, we're not only to put off a heart of arrogance and pride, we're to put on a deep heart of humility that we might properly view our role to consider others as more important than ourselves. I mean, you know the verses, you've known them for years, many of you in Philippians chapter 2. It says, you know, have, have nothing to do with selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourself. Don't merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Your whole life is to consider others as more important than yourself. And so you're, you're humbly serving them in every possible way. Because when you are giving your life away like that, in generosity of heart and humility of heart, true, doing this because you truly recognize that the needs of others are more important than your own and that those needs relate to their walk with God and their knowledge of Him, then the pursuit of sexual immorality becomes so much more difficult. There's, there's now positive barriers you have to overcome. Your generosity is pushing you away from that. Your humility is pushing you away from that. And here again, I'd like to give you a very practical way to determine how humble are you really. And I'd like to tie it into your relationship to authority. You might say, I'm, I'm a humble guy. And your humility relates to those that either you have pity on or those that, you know, you know, those are equal with you that I can give to them. But when it comes to those who maybe are in authority over you, be it the government or other things, well, you don't have a very humble heart there because you, you are certain that you're being abused, that you're being harmed. And so you don't respond properly to authority. That will help you track down whether you're really humble. First Peter 5, 5. I'm not making this up. It says, you younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders. Th- speaking of the church, not just older people. But young men in the church wrestle to submit to spiritual leadership. They just do. They're young men. They're like, oh, i got things to do. I'm not sure we agree with this, this authority. So they wrestle. So Paul says, look, you have to clothe yourselves. You have to be subject to your elders. Then he says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Humility is literally your clothing. God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Your ability to respond to authority. And then your ability also to clothe yourselves with humility towards one another is the manifestation of the true humility of your heart. He goes, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. I mean, that's the ultimate authority. It's amazing how he brings the authoritative nature of that, the mighty hand of God. He rules. Come underneath him. And as you do that in, your, in, in humility, then you will be able to overcome the, the arrogance of heart, which says, I will have sexual things for myself. That's fascinating. That, that verse goes on. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that he might exalt you at the proper time, casting all anxiety upon him because he cares for you. It takes great humility to recognize that only God can make provision for you. And in this area of sexual immorality, that is also true. We humble ourselves underneath him so that he might give us the grace and, and enable the resources that he has provided to be effective in our lives. What does 1 Corinthians ten twelve say? Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. Cultivate a generosity of heart. Cultivate a humility of heart. 
coming underneath others, coming underneath properly the authorities in your life so that you might clothe yourselves with humility, considering others more important than yourself and casting your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. That's why you are to be humble. He cares for you. And he provides through humility. He gives grace through humility. A thankfulness of heart is necessary. Thankfulness of heart. You see, if we're constantly complaining, constantly ungrateful for what God has given, then we are easily led towards sin in the sexual arena. Ephesians 5, uh, Ephesians 5.18, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. So many times when I hear teaching on being filled with the Spirit, I hear the first part, we're not to be drunk with wine, we're to be filled with the Spirit, and then right into worship, what, what kind of songs do we sing, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and there's endless sermons on which is which. I haven't heard a ton of sermons when it talks to being... Being, talks about being filled with the Spirit on the last part of that verse, which is always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. That's a primary reflection of being filled with the Spirit is that you give thanks to God for everything, for the difficult circumstance in, in your marriage, for the fact that you are single and lonely, for the fact that you have had a relationship that you were sure was going to work out, and now it hasn't, and you're wondering what to do with your life. God oversees all of these things. And when you're filled with the Spirit, you understand that you can be thankful to Him and you learn to practice that thankfulness, not only in that circumstance, but in every circumstance. And the more grateful you are for all that God has given, the more you are protected against and guarded against sexual immorality. It can't be just, I'll try not to be angry. I'll try not to be upset at God about this. You can try that all day. You start with that, but then you have to replace it with, God, I'm not just trying to, to you know, keep at bay my feelings of, of ungratefulness. I'm pouring out thankfulness to you in everything. Hebrews 13, 15. Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. It's not just singing all the time. In everything you're offering up thanks to the Lord. How well are you doing? To the extent that you are doing well and offering up thanks to the Lord, you are protecting yourself against sexual immorality. Thank you for joining us again on Grace Maryville Weekly. These messages are just a small collection of sermons that have been presented at Grace Community Church in downtown Maryville, Tennessee. If you would like to learn more about Grace Community Church, where Pastor Chris serves as an elder and pastor, please visit us online at gracemaryville.org. Again, that is gracemaryville.org. There, not only will you be able to find out more about the many ministries at Grace, but you will also be able to access a full audio archive of messages not only presented by Pastor Chris, but also messages presented to our women's ministry, youth ministry, and college-aged ministries, as well as the Sola and Essentials conferences hosted at Grace. We invite you to visit us online and we hope that you will join us again next time as Pastor Chris continues to exegetically 
work through the book of Matthew. Until then, remember that Jesus is the King, and the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ.